I actually feel rather than that I have any control over the provenance of a story is that somehow the story completely 100% exists the beginning the middle the end it exists out there in the ether and then I'm the author lucky enough to tell it that's how it feels to me I know that sounds crackpot to say it but it does you know and certainly the turning point I felt like the whole thing was dictated by the characters although it was an emotionally a very draining book to write because it has some very big and deeply emotional themes the actual process of writing it even though it was at such a frenetic pace was very very easy because the whole thing just seemed to flow into me and then at my fingertips and there it was on the screen Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is Jonathan Getz. So we may not have discussed this on the show before, but I'm an avid reader who grew up in a family of readers. When we were little, my sister and I always traveled with a book to keep us occupied. Even now, I will only buy purses that can comfortably fit a book. I've started creating special sections in my bursting bookshelves for my most treasured books. And this week's guest, author Freya North, comprises one of those special sections. I've bought every one of her books, and together they form a prized, candy-colored compilation in my library. And since those editions are all imported from England, we decided to visit Freya in her homeland to chat about, among other things, her most recent novel, The Turning Point, which is her 14th release within a genre she calls domestic drama. That day trip that we took to her house, a short train ride outside of London, was a real eye-opener for me, not just to the beautiful English countryside, but also to the physical demands of being a writer. While I was setting up the recording gear in her living room, I heard you and Freya talking about her recent back surgery and her new ergo-friendly office setup. Yeah, you know, we often overlook the physical toll of being an artist. We might think that the hardest part of an author's craft is just sitting, thinking, typing, just creating the story. Or maybe coping with writer's block, which, as you will hear, is no joke. But whether you're schlepping around heavy tubs of clay or spending hours a day writing at a desk, it can be backbreaking work. As someone who, like many of us, sits and stands at a computer for extended periods, I'm acutely aware of the negative effects of poor posture. And you're a sloucher to boot. Guilty as charged. But I really appreciated Freya letting us try out her new chair, which wobbles when off-axis, uh, forcing you to sit correctly. I'll need to see if they make one that will match my office. Well, let's sit up straight and listen in as we talk to Freya about writing, editing, and, of course, ergonomics. People often ask for advice that they want to write a novel. Uh, the first thing I say to them is, don't worry about the plot, get your characters. And the next thing that I say to them is ergonomics, because you need to be physically in good shape to write. I now, especially having had back surgery, I had a, a company that came out and assessed the way that I work. I do Alexander Technique and my Alexander teacher videoed me working and I was so shocked at my posture. So I think it's really important that people consider that, that if they're working on a laptop, that they have a separate keyboard um, that the laptop itself is raised up so that you're looking at it in the correct angle. 
um, that you're not slouched in your seat, that you're not crossing your legs. There are so many things you can do that are small, re-educating ways of actually maximising your productivity and thereby your creativity. Did you write much as a child? I wrote a lot. And in fact, I was always running out of paper in my um, exercise books at school. So invariably, if I got to the last page of the exercise book and I was mid-flow, I'd be writing on the inside back cover, then the back cover, then sort of squirling it around the front cover. Then in my high school, I really wasn't a very, I wasn't a very good student at all in that I didn't like school. I went to an all-girls school and I didn't like it at all. And I didn't really like the lessons. And I didn't like many of the teachers either. And I tried very hard to be quite rebellious, never to do my homework, to sort of abuse the school uniform laws and just generally get told off as much as I could. And then we were set a homework assignment in our second year at high school which was to write the opening of a novel. And there was something about that particular teacher and that particular homework assignment that not only did I write it, write the opening of a novel and hand it in on time, I then, during the course of that year, wrote a further 38 chapters. (laughs) And my lovely English teacher, she didn't mind that I never did another official homework assignment she was just so pleased that I was continuing to write and I've still got it it's up in the loft probably directly above your head Betsy from where you're sitting now and it's this terrible teenage diatribe of angst and it's called troubled lives (laughs) anyway it's still there it's still there but that really gave me the bug but It was when I was due to start a PhD in history of art and I got my very first computer and I was teaching myself to open and close files that I found myself opening a file, naming it novel and then I started writing and I started writing that afternoon the opening of my first novel, Sally, which took then four years to Uh, finish and find a publishing deal for. But once I'd started writing in that secret file called novel, I knew that the PhD wasn't going to happen. The four years that it took me to write my first novel was because, of course, I couldn't afford to do it full time. So I had a variety of very, very peculiar jobs. One was working for um, a very eccentric and ill-mannered aristocrat who had their own sculpture park who uh, treated me like a serf Um, another one was that I chose book covers for publishers so a lot of the Virago modern classic books I chose paintings to go on the front covers Um, and in fact I got down to be in the last two candidates for head of picture research at Penguin Books in London how different my career might have turned out and I also tempt because being a temporary secretary and I worked as a secretary and a receptionist, gave me the opportunity to blitz my rent money, as I would call it, you know, for a couple of, uh, you know, three or four weeks at a time, and then scrape together what I would think of as my precious writing days. So then I could take four or five days just to write. I think, you know, being a picture researcher and working in the publishing industry 
it gave me insight into how difficult it is to get work published. And I knew that I needed an agent to represent me. So I had to then jump through those hoops, which is uh, very important advice that I give authors, although now with self-publishing, perhaps less important. What always strikes me about reading Freya's novels is how detail-oriented she is with her characters. This level of detail, from knowing what books a character keeps on her shelf to understanding the technicalities of their profession, gives you the feeling that she didn't just create the characters, but actually inhabited them. This allows the reader to do the same. I asked Freya about the level of research that she undertakes to create such vivid worlds within her stories. The original writing process, for me, tends to change according to how much research a book requires. So my most recent book, The Turning Point, required quite a lot of research because there were themes and subjects within that, for example, epilepsy, writing music for films that I knew nothing about but I was very interested in, so I indulged myself with Uh, researching those plus it also necessitated a trip to Canada a country I'd never been to before so I had to carve out time for that however the writing of the turning point which was my longest book only took three and a half months I was working at an insane pace sometimes I was writing up to 7,000 words a day and yet there are other books like the the book previous uh, to the turning point the way back home took a good 18 months to write. The actual writing of that was much, much slower. I would like to give myself longer, but the publishers, of course, want me to have less time because they want the books out there more frequently. I think it is fair for me to give myself about a 15-month turnaround to include research and then writing the the three first drafts. And then editing after that, again, depends on when the book is scheduled to be published but we really pushed it for the turning point and we did all the editing in about eight weeks flat which is not just the thematic editing with my desk editor but then also the continuity editing which happens with a copy editor checking that if I say his eyes are blue in chapter two they're not suddenly brown in chapter 30. My editor and my agent, they don't see a word I've written until it's in the third draft stage. Because again, I am refining it and refining it and refining it. Um, And that's a process that I have learned over the 14 books that I've had published. It really isn't just about the writing. And I think editing, you know, I try and be very hard on myself, literally sentence by sentence. I think, how could the sentence be better? How could it be more elegant? How how could it be more precise? How can it get across the meaning in a more emphatic way? Do you ever have other people read it? Never. I don't show a (laughs) word to anyone. And funny enough, before a book is finished, I find it very, very difficult to actually put into conversation what I'm writing about. I find that I sound terribly clumsy when I'm trying to tell someone what the plot or the characters in my new book is all about. So I tend to really work in a very, very isolated, uh, almost obsessively isolated way. But I have always, always preached that there isn't a right or a wrong way to write. 
And I do know other authors who are very open in sharing with friends, family, publishers exactly how the novel's going, what's happening. I know an author who sends her agent and her editor um, a chapter outline, you know, and actually works through each chapter at a time as it's written. But um, I'm just not that, I don't know if it's organised. It just doesn't, that, that way doesn't work for me. I have to start with chapter one without really a proper plan. And I just let the book unfold organically. I like to be taken on a journey through the book in much the same way as a reader is. I like it to be that exciting for me. I was researching one book and happened to be reading a newspaper and came across a tiny little column in the paper that was a news story about a teenager who woke up in her nightdress on the arm of a construction crane. And that's it. That was Pillow Talk. That was my novel about a sleepwalking jeweller. So it can be something tiny like that. Whereas the recent book, The Turning Point, that was very interesting because it was going to be a long distance love story between an English woman and a Canadian man. And I couldn't understand why he was Canadian when I don't know any Canadians and I'd never been to Canada. And I'd just come back from an epic road trip to California. And I remember begging the character in my head, you know, begging him, please, could you be Californian? Because... I've just come back from California. And no, he was just resolutely Canadian. Mostly the characters come fully formed. With the character of Scott in The Turning Point or Malachi in The Way Back Home, I knew them before I even knew I was writing a book about them. I know that sounds very nebulous, but... It's true. And that's why I do what I do and why really I'm not qualified to do anything else. (laughs) You know, so especially with Scott, I could see him. I could smell the smells in his house. I knew, you know, what was hanging on his walls. I knew what the rug in his bedroom would feel like underfoot. That is just a fully developed character that I just feel so grateful that I didn't have to make up. I know this sounds mad. I don't feel I could have invented Scott. I feel that Scott was ready for me to find. You know, I've always believed that characters lead a story, that you can have the most intricate plot you like, but if the characters aren't three-dimensional and colourful, then nobody's really going to care about what happens. If you have really believable characters... You can have quite a a gentle and lyrical story that is as compelling as one with the most detailed plot. I mean, of course, one of my favourite characters is Django. I've written about him five times now. Um, He's an eccentric guy in his late 70s who is the uncle to the McCabe girls about whom I've written as well. And um, I sometimes find it very difficult to believe that he's not real because I do really sense him out there in the world. Just as a twisted knee can spell disaster for a dancer, or a sprained wrist can disrupt a cellist's career, writer's block can be a dark cloud that looms over an author. But unlike a physical issue that can be overcome with surgery or simply patience, 
Writer's block is an unknown. It's an abstract thunderstorm of anxiety that threatens to follow an author all the way to a publishing deadline. Up until The Way Back Home, which was my 13th novel, I had no time for anyone who mentioned the words writer's block. I thought it was the most ridiculous excuse by lazy authors who just couldn't be bothered to write a book. And then it hit me really bad for The Way Back Home. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying because this is, writing is my world, it's my livelihood, it's the thing that, you know, my children depend on me being able to do so that I can put clothes on their back and food on the table. And suddenly, suddenly I couldn't write. I had the whole book in my head, but it was what I would call just out of sight or just out of earshot. And I could hear the characters, but it was it was like they were very muffled and it was like they were talking a language that I didn't understand. And I would sit at my laptop and look at the keyboard and be almost frightened of putting my fingertips on it in case it hurt. And I felt sick every day and terrible headaches. And I also felt worst of all was this terrible sense of shame. I really did. I felt a deep sense of shame that I wasn't writing because I couldn't write because the previous 12 books had flowed out of me and been such a pleasure to write. And here was this career that I had supported by my wonderful readers and a very understanding publisher. And I I couldn't do it. And I thought to myself, say that was it. Say I only had that dozen books in me. So it was very, very worrying. It was really worrying. And um, it made me very unhappy. And, you know, physically, I felt very unwell. And I tried everything. I gave up caffeine and then that didn't work. So then I drank lots and lots of caffeine <laughs> and that didn't work. Um, I had hypnosis. The doctor put me on high dose, slow release beta blockers. And eventually I just hauled that book out word after word after word until eventually I had a sentence and then I had a paragraph. And before long I had a chapter and then I had more trust in myself that the book would flow. And um, I've reread that book two or three times and I'm so proud of it because it doesn't show the struggle, <laughs> which is how it should be. But I now know that should writer's block strike me again, I can get through it. But my God, when it hit me that first time, that was a very, very lonely and frightening place to be. A large portion of my overflowing bookcases are books that I've had since I was a child and from which I will never part. These books have been read hard and many are now torn and tattered. My copy of Norton Jester's The Phantom Tollbooth is in at least three pieces. Many readers, Freya included, will tell you that their addictions also started when they were young, which makes it all the more important to keep children interested in books in this age of ubiquitous screens. I founded the Hartford Children's Book Festival. Hartford is the town closest to which I live. It's a very historic market town, actually, that was the seat of Parliament in the Civil War. 
It's very near Hatfield House where Elizabeth I and Henry VIII lived as well. And it's got a great theatre, very funky theatre there. It's got an independent children's bookshop. And what it didn't have was a children's book festival. So it was great fun and lots and lots of hard work to set up. Um, and we're always fighting for funding, etc. But I've, I run it like an author slash control freak once <laughs> literary festival run because quite often I've been to literary festivals that haven't been well organized or the author hasn't been paid and I thought no no you know let's let's do this properly and have a variety of events of authors going into schools as well as events at the theatre for families and to come to after school or at the weekend so it's been a lot of fun to do. Is there a different type of book that you'd like to write? Had I not written The Turning Point, I would have said to you, no, no, I'm very happy writing exactly as I'm writing, which I call domestic drama. Um, But in The Turning Point, the main character, Frankie, is a children's author. And she writes these books about a little girl called Alice, Alice and the Ditch Monster. And I would really like to write the Alice and the Ditch Monster books as Frankie Shaw. Do you remember the first book that you loved? I do remember the first book that I loved. The first book that I loved would have been Winnie the Pooh and the House at Pooh Corner by A.A. Milne, which is just so quirky um, about a little boy and his toys and the kind of banter that goes on, especially between Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore and Piglet. And it was a book that my mum would read to me And we both would end up in tears at the last sentence of the last chapter of The House at Pooh Corner, when you know that you're leaving Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, but you know that they're always going to be playing in the Hundred Acre Wood. And um, it loses nothing over the decades, because it's a book that I thoroughly enjoyed reading to my children too. And I read from my original copies. So that's now part of the family heirloom, I would say. After all of this talk about books, I want to hear which books you love. Post photos of your very own favorite books on Instagram and Facebook with the hashtag HelloReaders for a chance to win a signed copy of Freya's most recent novel, The Turning Point. The contest will run through June 8, 2017, and I'm really looking forward to seeing your book recommendations. In the meantime, head over to HelloAtelier.org to see images of Freya's studio. Hello Atelier is a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe for free on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and to live a little Hello Atelier every day.